Morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, people. It is 11 o'clock in the morning on October the 22nd, and this is Bitcoin and episode 19. I'm gonna add. Um, I'm gonna add something to the lineup. Um, I'm gonna start calling it Bitcoin 101. Uh, there are always new people that are entering the space, um, and you know a lot of us have been around long enough that we are getting we're pretty esoteric. You know, it's like we we know a bunch of these terms and we know what they mean. We know what the subtext is. We know what the context is. You know, we. We're leveraging, we're leveraging an entire history. For me, the history of Bitcoin that I learned, plus everything that I've experienced since the summer of 2015. And you know, the more podcasts I listen to, the less and less podcasts I run across where basic explanations of terminology and concepts are presented. And that's okay. Um, but I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add one uh, because I got a buddy who told me a couple of days ago that his uh, couple of old school people that he talked to in gold that are gold silver bugs, precious metal bugs, are talking about uh, the possibility of getting getting into Bitcoin. So this is for this series is essentially for everybody, but. It's uh, from a friend of mine who I would like to be able, in a series, be able to explain what Bitcoin is, why the hell we should care, and what it, what its value proposition is. So I'm going to add that, um, and we're going to. Um, I'm actually going to start that right after this introduction, um, and keep it right in front of Vitals, and then we'll go into Morning Roundup. Uh, Marty has a new Marty's bent. We'll do Terrible Joke Corner. And then I'm also going to add, uh, after terrible, terrible joke corner, something called daily train wreck. And you'll figure that one out when we get there. So let's get on with the show. Okay. For Bitcoin one Oh one. I'm going to read a few passages from a website or from, um, oh, well, it's not a website. It's, it's from upfolio.com and somebody, I really wish they had put their, the author's name in here so that I could give credit, but this is called Bitcoin Explained, Discover How Bitcoin Works and Why It's So Popular. And these are not going to be long um, because I'm going to do them every day. So, um, if you, if, if you already, I mean, if you know, you just go ahead and skip this part. If you don't know, I'm going to try to explain through a series of, of other people's writings, uh, what this stuff is and how it works. Now, this one came from a guy named Jameson Lopp. If you're not following Jameson on Twitter, it's at L O P P. 
Uh, he has a re Bitcoin resource page that is uh, very is excellent. It's been heavily leveraged in the past to for, teach people what this stuff is. And I thought I'd pull a couple of um, a couple of them from the very front, which is sort of like you know, sort of explain like I'm five kind of things. So this one, Bitcoin Explained, discover how Bitcoin works and why it's so popular. So coming down here, the statement is, Bitcoin is designed to let you store, send, and receive money without any banks or credit card companies. And this kind of gets expanded into a little bit more of a definition that says, until Bitcoin came around, you needed banks, credit cards, or companies like PayPal and Venmo to send and receive money. These companies were necessary to do something only they could do. That is, verify that the person spending money actually has money to spend. Banks can do this because they hold everyone's money so they know all account balances. Okay, so moving on. But what's so great about not using banks and credit card companies? For starters, they are slow, expensive, and part of a broken financial system. Banks have huge costs for buildings, lawyers, and highly paid executives, all funded by the fees you pay and massive taxpayer bailouts like in 2008. Banks also limit how you can access and send your money. In 2008, a mysterious person calling himself or herself Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin. To this day, Satoshi remains anonymous and nobody knows who he, she, or they are. Satoshi could be a woman, a man, a group of people, nobody knows. What we do know is that the Bitcoin.org domain was registered in August of 2008. Then, in November, Satoshi posted the famous Bitcoin white paper. That was actually in October. This is me talking. That was actually October 31st. Um, it was not November. Uh, the first Bitcoins were issued in January 2009. Embedded in the first Bitcoin code was the message, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks hinting at Bitcoin's creation because of the 2008 financial crisis. Bitcoin's breakthrough is that it's the first to solve a problem so tough it has its own name, the double spend problem. Here's how the double spend problem works. Digital money is just like a computer file, so it would be easy for somebody to just counterfeit it by copy and pasting. Before Bitcoin, the solution was for banks to keep track of the money in everybody's accounts so that nobody could spend money twice. Bitcoin solves the double spend problem differently. It makes all accounts and transactions public, but without revealing private details like your name, etc. Since account balances are public, it would be obvious if someone used the same money twice. Once Bitcoin is sent, it's publicly added to the receiver's account. So if a scammer tries to spend their Bitcoin twice, it's easily discovered and prevented. Solving the double spend problem is a big deal. It allows Bitcoin to be sent directly from one person to another 
without using any third party like a bank. Not needing a third party like a bank to handle accounts <clears throat> and transactions has a lot of benefits. Transactions can be faster and cheaper since there is no middleman. Plus, your personal information becomes more private since no bank has to store it. You are probably beginning to see why Bitcoin is such a game changer. So that's going to be the first part of that Bitcoin 101. I'll save the second part for tomorrow. Um, I want to do this because, like I said, there are new people entering the space all the time. And it's got to the point where if a friend of mine comes to me and asks me about Bitcoin, it's, it's difficult to not go off into stuff that they have no chance in hell of understanding because they do not have the context. They don't have the history. They haven't studied it for three or four years. Um, this is the only way that I can think of um, is to go to for new people that are entering the space is to continuously go back to the basics. So again, if you you know if you know all this, skip this part. But this I I think this is kind of critical for new people coming in into Bitcoin so that they don't feel stupid all the time, that they have something that they can grab onto and they can slowly learn what this is, why it's important, how it works, where it came from. And this is going to be, so this will be a daily part of, of the routine from now on. Next up is going to be vital statistics for Bitcoin and a couple of shit coins. Vital statistics brought to you by the good folks at bitinfocharts.com. Uh, I, I really like this website. So starting at the top, uh, Bitcoin's price averaging $6,523 with a high coming from, looks like, hit BTC at $6,569 to a low of $6,393 down at GDAX, so there's a there's a fair spread again. Uh, transactions in the last 24 hours is 229,000. Average transactions per hour is 9,500. Uh, 801,000 BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with an average sent per hour of 33,384 Bitcoin. Average transaction value is about the same, 3.48 BTC, which uh, is about $22,700. The median transaction value is lower. It's 0.031 BTC for an average USD price of $203. Block time is where it should be, 10 minutes and 4 seconds. Uh, blocks over the last 24 hours mined is 143. Average blocks per hour is st stable at 6. Uh, we all know the reward per block is 12.5 12 Bitcoins, but today the fees have gone down to, they're getting about mm, 0 0.1, yeah, 0 0.1 BTC reward per block, or uh, uh, transaction fees per block, and the reward over the last 24 hours is 1,788 Bitcoin plus 14.83 Bitcoin in fees. Hash rate has increased in the last 24 hours by 5.24%, back up to 53.1 exahashes. Uh, is there anything else that I want to get to? Nope, nope. Oh, well, there's, that's kind of cool. 
100 largest transactions. Eh, that does. Now I'm not going to do that one. Okay, so across the board, Ethereum's at $204. Bcash is at $450. Litecoin is at $52.57. Dogecoin is the same at $0.0044 United States dollars. Um, for the first time that I've been doing this, uh, Bcash transactions are more in the last 24 hours than Litecoin and Dogecoin. Uh, Litecoin and Dogecoin both have 22,000. Bcash has 27,000. Um, and that's going to do it for the, for the vital statistics today. morning's Bitcoin Roundup. Uh, start off with a tweet that I sent this morning. I'd be willing to bet the great Rubini will not accept Arthur's challenge. Uh, this is in response to Arthur Hayes calling out Noriel Rubini. Uh, Noriel Rubini tweeted uh, yesterday, uh, BitMEX massively non-compliant and shady exchange, to which Arthur directly responds, uh, why don't you say that to my face on stage, or are you too yellow? Our offer still stands. Don't be a chump. I don't see as Noriel actually even replying back to Arthur, but good for you, Arthur, calling uh, calling Rubini out, out, you know, out on the carpet like that. Um, yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad to see that that Arthur is uh, not going to put up with Rubini's crap. Okay, uh, this should have gone in Bitcoin 101. Um, so since I've added that section, uh, I'm going to have to, you know, kind of refine it a little bit. But I ran across uh, the term shelling point for the, about the 5,000th time uh, today and uh, decided, and that was actually one of the other two things that caused me to think about doing a Bitcoin 101 because we were always using these terms <clears throat> and we're talking to each other and we're too esoteric, like I said. Um, so let's, I want to read for people who don't know what the hell a shelling point is, what the hell a shelling point is. All right. So in game theory, a focal point, this is from Wikipedia. In game theory, a focal point also called shelling point is a solution that people will tend to use in the absence of communication because it seems natural, special, or relevant to them. The concept was introduced by the Nobel Memorial Prize winning American economist Thomas Schelling in his book, The Strategy of Conflict, printed in 1960. In this book, page 57, Schelling describes, quote, focal points for each person's expectations of what the other expects him to expect to be expected to do, <laughs> end quotes. This type of focal point later was named after Schelling. He further explains that such points are highly useful in negotiations because we cannot comply, completely trust our negotiating partner's words. Examples. <clears throat> in coordination games. In a simple example, two people unable to communicate with each other are shown, each shown a panel of four squares and asked to select one. If and only if they both select the same one, they will each receive a prize. Three of the squares are blue and one is red. Assuming they know nothing about the other player, but that they each do want to win the prize, then they will reasonably both choose the red square. The red square is not 
in a sense, a better square. They could, they could win by both choosing any square, and in this sense, all squares are technically a Nash equilibrium. Won't get into that. The red square is the right square to select only if a player can be sure that the other player has selected it, but by hypothesis, neither can. However, it is the most salient and notable square, so lacking any other one, most people will choose it, and this will, in fact, often work. Uh, Real-life application. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Schelling's example. Schelling illustrated this concept with the following problem. Quote, tomorrow you have to meet a stranger in New York City. Where and when do you meet them? This is a coordination game, where any place and time in the city could be an equilibrium solution. Schelling asked a group of students this question and found the most common answer was noon at the information booth at Grand Central Terminal. There is nothing that makes Grand Central Terminal a location with a higher payoff. You could just as easily meet somebody at a bar or the public library reading room, but its tradition as a meeting place raises its salience and therefore makes it a natural focal point. Uh, real life application. Focal points can also have real life applications. Imagine two bicycles headed towards each other and in danger of crashing. Avoiding collision becomes a coordination game where each player's winning choice depends on the other player's choice. Each player in this case has the choice to go straight, swerve to the left, or swerve to the right. Both players want to avoid crashing, but neither knows what the other will do. In this case, the decision to swerve right can serve as a focal point, which leads to the, <clears throat> to the winning right-right outcome. It seems a natural focal point in places using right-hand traffic. So that's that, that, that right, you know, we're, we're in the United States. We use, you know, we go in a certain, we go forward on the right-hand side of the road. The person coming towards us is also going forward, but they're on our left or their right. So the context, the context is that we're just kind of like right-thinking people. So if we're in the middle of the road, and we're coming towards each other, chances are real good that we're both going to make the choice to go to the right. Somehow or another, this is this just makes sense. It, and we do this a lot. So that's the, the, that's the shelling point. So <clears throat> moving on in, in my deck, uh, an Australian ICO, this is from Coindesk, an Aust Australian ICO project. Uh, planning raise up to 50 million has been halted by the country's security regulators. Okay, so yeah, they're coming, guys. They're they're, they're coming. Um, you're not going to be able to use. You're not going to be able to leverage the models of old very much longer. Um, just word 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 to the wise. Uh, this whole ICO thing is probably it's probably over. Um, uh, surely, you know, I'm sure that a few more will, will hit, but um, they, the regulators from across governments are figuring this out. So it's going to be up to the community to figure out how to do something else. Personally, I don't give a shit about ICOs. I, I think most of them are scams, crap, uh, or people that, you know, maybe they want to do good and they think this is a way to, an ICO is a way to do it, and maybe their heart really is in the right place, and they end up, but they end up scamming people out of just sheer ignorance and not being very competent in what they're doing. So, yeah, uh, their the regulators are going to regulate what they can regulate. Came across this one from Denarian Bitcoin, 
We're packaging coins in their new packaging today. We believe in security. Certiline packaging. And that looks pretty cool, man. It's like a gold-plated Bitcoin. It's got a private key um, on a hologram that's stuck to the back of it. And the whole thing is encased in a really pretty-looking plastic card uh, with, uh, obviously, windows to show the uh, the coin. So that's that, that's kind of cool. I, I, for me, physical Bitcoins... I don't need it. I think it'd be fun to have one, but I'm not, uh, it's kind of not the point. Um, all right. So the edge, oh, no, that's going to be, that's going to be for a, a bad joke or a terrible joke corner. <clears throat> okay. Peter Saddington uh, at Bite Size Bitcoin, Korea's largest Bitcoin exchange sells stake in $350 million deal. So let's go over here and just read a little bit from it. Um, John, you know, it'd be, you know, if you're going to write an article, it may be better to have like a full name so I can give you proper credit. Uh, we'll just read the first, first few. Uh, Bitthumb, currently the largest cryptocurrency exchange in South Korea by trading volume, just confirmed it has sold more than 38% of its ownership to a blockchain consortium based in Singapore for 4 billion won or $350 million US. So yeah, Bitthumb looks like it sold out damn near, you know, coming up on half of its, you know, a full, you know, fully a third um, of its position um, and, and above that. So uh, that was uh, kind of, we'll have to keep an eye on this as to what's going on here. Uh, moving on, this from Michael Goldstein at Bitstein. Is it Goldstein or or Goldstein? I'm going to say Michael Goldstein at Bitstein. Although I used to pronounce it Bitstein, like Frankenstein. Oh, well, whatever. Kenyan cryptocurrency pioneer, quote, I make my money from Bitcoin and tasty roast meat. Uh, so from BBC.com. Uh, is in the uh, is a link. There's a link to a BBC.com article that's talking about this woman uh, named Beatrice in Kenya, and she owns. Uh, well, she was uh, made you know trading Bitcoin. I guess back in the day, made enough money where she bought a building, and she built a restaurant um, named Betty's Place. And uh, let's read a couple a couple of lines here. This is from a. Vumani Mkizi. Man, I butchered that name. Vumani, I know I got right, but M-K-H-I-Z-E is the uh, is the last name. Uh, Betty's Place specializes in Nayama Chama, a lip-smacking goat meat barbecue that is a firm favorite amongst Kenyans. Um, Since the world is becoming more global, my place is also becoming a global restaurant, says Beatrice Wambugu, the owner of the restaurant. I attract different customers from different parts of the world, whichever coin they have. As long as it's a viable coin, we accept it. So what's interesting about this woman is that, uh, you know, she's she's Kenyan. She's an entrepreneur. She got in Bitcoin early. She made enough money to give her to build herself a business. And she accepts Bitcoin and most certainly a few other uh, a few other digital currencies. But what's neat about it is that, <coughs> excuse me. Um, what's neat about it is that she 
um, gives classes in Bitcoin one, uh, as far as I can tell, for one day a week at her restaurant. She teaches customers how to use the technology so that they can then go use it and come to her restaurant and pay her in Bitcoin because she's figuring out she would rather have Bitcoin than the local currency from Kenya, which is probably a good idea. So good for you, Beatrice. That's pretty kick-ass, man. That's kind of an inspiration there right there, just because, you know, not only is she doing all this, but, you know, the fact that she made money in Bitcoin and said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to build a restaurant out of it. Good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, Next up, this is coming from, uh, this is coming from Bitmain. They're... <clears throat> tweet today is we've released new firmware to activate overt ASIC boost on the Antminer S9 firmware for other BM1387 base models coming soon. Learn more about it here, and then you can go read their uh, read their thing. Uh, tell you the truth, man, with a 27.6% tariff on S9 miners that are already losing money out of a $500 million facility that you guys built in the uh, United States, I'm not all that sure that this is going to do anything other than confuse the, the market. I, 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 don't, I don't see how you're going to get out of this mess. I mean, you may, and that's fine, but um, this seems like a little, you know, too little, too late for any of these people that are holding... S9 miners, which are already two years old. Uh, Bitmain cannot seem to, to get a new chip out. Uh, they've had like a couple fail. Um, I mean, it's, I'd say, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a single dollar to those people. Um, be like butter, be like the butterfly labs deal at this point. It seems like Ravencoin is freaking out guys. I, again, I don't know. I don't know what the use case of Ravencoin is, but that's only because I haven't I haven't looked into it because I I normally try not to spend my time looking at stuff that isn't Bitcoin or you know uh, any of the the top ones. I know people have been like really going nuts about Ravencoin, but man, this one is you know I got to say wow on the pump. Uh, let me get into it. Um. Uh, so am crypto from uh this is the the pivot.one website are talking about this uh massive volume surge uh the sleeping giant ravencoin rvn has surged significantly with its seven day volume increasing as much as 62,000 percent again let me say that again a seven-day volume increasing as much as 62,000 percent within a 24-hour volume change at 55%, or with a 24-hour volume change at 55%. This comes after the coin pumped 257% post post its listing on Binance. So Binance listed Ravencoin and just, it just went nuts. So what's its price? Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah, okay. The volume. Let's see. Hold on. Oh, here we go. After the after the official announcement on Binance blog post, the price shot up from 0.02 USD in the next day, with the price reaching as high as 0.05 USD or five cents. 
Um, the volume, however, has shot up from $184,000 USD to a whopping $116 million as of October 22nd. So massive Ravencoin pump going on, people. Ma- just absolutely massive. Um, last up, Vending Machine sells Coke for uh, over the Lightning Network. Um, yeah, using the Lightning Network for instant Bitcoin payments. Um, yeah, so somebody's built a Coke machine and installed and uh, in, has thrown it onto the Lightning Network, and you can go out, walk it, walk up to this thing, and you can pay for a Coke in light on the Lightning Network from your Lightning wallet, and it will give you it'll give you a Coke. So vending machines are coming out. Yeah, they're. I mean, vending machines may be a, one of the one of the very earliest. Um, adopters of the Lightning Network rather than um, uh, face-to-face retail sales it makes sense. I mean, generally speaking, you know, um, the uh, vending machines that we have are just like little computers that you just go stock up every day. And generally, you know, most of them take uh, credit card payments, so the infrastructure is there to, to land it on the internet or have it connected through Wi-Fi or something. So it's I don't know, vending machines and Lightning Network seems like a Pretty much like a match made in heaven. And uh, let me make sure that I cover that. Okay, that's the last of the morning roundup. Let's get on to Marty's Bend. Marty has given us yet another Marty's Bent for this Monday, October 22nd. This is issue 344. Bitcoin's monetary path. He starts out with five tweets from Willem Vandenberg uh, at W-I-L-L-E-M underscore V-D-B-E-R-G-H. One, when applying the Sabosian theory of money origins at Nick Zabo 4 to Bitcoin, it is reasonable to conclude we just barely left the collectible phase and are now witnessing its first steps into proto-money. Two, this phase, which is characterized by its primordial exploration of the store of value properties of the commodity, can easily take a decade or two to properly mature. Volatility is part of this maturing process. Three, people who are pushing the medium of exchange narrative at this moment in time, as good as their intentions may be, bringing merchants on board and all that, are counterproductive to adoption, in my opinion. Four, by creating these specific expectations, which are unattainable at this moment in time, a lot of people will get burned or disillusioned. I believe this is a big loss for adoption and for the affected individuals. Five, TLDR, only by informing people correctly about the use case Bitcoin has at this moment can we maximize its adoption and prevent a lot of people from making the biggest financial mistake of their life. All right, Marty's bent on this is here's a thread that caught my attention over the weekend. Our friend Willem shares a few thoughts on where we are in the timeline of Bitcoin going from zero to reserve currency of the world. If we are to believe that Bitcoin will follow the path laid out by Nick Zabo's theory of money origins, from collectible to store of value to method of exchange to unit of account, then we are most likely still in the collectible phase. In this phase, 
as we have all as we have all witnessed and will continue to witness for some time bitcoin's price is extremely volatile as the market sloshes back and forth between euphoria and despair as humanity attempts to digest bitcoin and determine whether or not it is a viable replacement for our current monetary system this volatility will continue until there is enough overall confidence in bitcoin and its ability to serve the use case of global money the funny thing about confidence in a system like this is that it takes a lot of time to accrue, especially when the app is money. As I laid out last week, we're not going to get every use case and functionality out of the box. Using BTC as a medium of exchange or unit of account only makes sense when the market is so saturated with value that transacting with a large amount of BTC won't affect the purchasing power of others using the network in a material way. Things will be priced in BTC as a result of it accruing so much value. We should heed Willem's advice and be sure not to market Bitcoin as a currency that is useful, practical, as a medium of exchange at the moment as it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths when they attempt to use it as a medium of exchange and have an experience that is orders of magnitude worse than the experience one has when paying with a credit card. Don't have to wait for confirms, fluctuating fees, wallet user experience, etc. <clears throat> Marketing Bitcoin as a monetary asset which is still in its collectible phase is probably most advantageous for everyone at this stage because it is more indicative of Bitcoin's current state as a technology slash money and sets expectations low so people can pleasantly be pleasantly surprised when Bitcoin improves and becomes a more viable store of value and medium of exchange in the future. Better to under-promise and over-deliver than promise everyone everything out of the box right now only to have them become completely dismayed when Bitcoin's technical and liquidity issues prevent those use cases from being viable at this point in time. Honesty and forthrightness <clears throat> with new users are key if we truly want Bitcoin to succeed. Slow and steady. I can guarantee you who is not going to be happy with any of this yeah, it's going to be Roger Ver and the the cats over at Bcash. And they're, you know, be careful, Marty. You're entering into that that territory where uh, Jimmy Song entered when, with the um, uh, credit card statement, which everybody seems to have completely misconstrued. So, uh, but yeah, they, I'm sure that there are going to be some people that read this and just, I don't know, give... All, you know, Willem and, and Marty and anybody who agrees with this, and, and I kind of agree with this, um, a bunch of crap for being core, uh, core shills and North Korea and we want to kill Bitcoin. And, and you know, Marty's right. There's just some things that, that can't be done out of the box. And patience is key. And, you know, I have to tell my six-year-old and my nine-year-old that on a daily basis, and they still don't get it. I do expect adults to get it. Next up in Marty's Bent, a lesson in hidden inflation. Uh, <laughs> over the weekend, uh, Uncle Marty's better half was about to throw some bacon in the oven when she commented on there being less bacon in the package than there typically is. This immediately made me shake my fist at the hidden inflation gods and then made me think of one of my favorite internet clips of all time, the Jimmy Dean sausage complaint voicemail. This is a great way to teach people about hidden inflation. The act of keeping the price of a good static while decreasing the amount of the goods sold per package. 
I had okay. This is me talking. I've never heard. I had never heard the Jimmy Dean sausage complaint voicemail until today. I didn't even know about its existence. It's hilarious. Uh, and Marty links to it. And Marty links to it in his uh, in his bent. And it's it's great. The dude just the dude's just going off, and it's just it's so funny to listen to. But the guy's right. You know, he was bitching about the fact that he can't feed a certain number of people with a 12 ounce package of Jimmy Dean sausage that costs the same price as the 16 ounce package that they no longer sell that he used to get. So for the same amount of money, he's getting less meat, but it, you know, it, but also there's the whole visual thing, 16 ounces versus 12 ounces, 12 ounces in that tube that they put Jimmy Dean sausage in, as you've ever seen it. Uh, once they take those 16 ounces off the, off the shelf there's no visual comparison so all of a sudden you kind of get into this well this must be the new size and you just do it unconsciously right because now all you see is 12 whereas before there was 16 how easy is it for most of us to forget these types of things when when a product when when hidden inflation hits we never see it hence why it's called hidden inflation and and then we just now we're just back on on the same tracks and we forget all about it we're paying the same amount of money for less amount of stuff and we don't even realize it you know and it's just you know it's not like raising the it's not like raising the price of a gallon of milk because what they've never done is de keep the price stable of a gallon of milk and then decrease the 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 amount of milk in that gallon because no longer can you call it a gallon of milk you know, uh, wow. And like, you know, if they were to do it, they'd take all the gallons off and they'd replace it with half gallons. And then they would charge like, you know, some kind of price that uh, ends up being where you're paying more per ounce of milk than you were when you were paying for a gallon. So uh, Marty's bent ends with his final thought. Monday morning acoustic vibes and coffee are a great way to start the work week. Hit them straight this week, freaks. And that'll do it for Marty's bent. We want to thank Marty. And you can find Marty over at Marty Bent. And uh, please do give him a follow. He's got great, man's got great content. And uh, we will uh, we'll see Marty tomorrow. A terrible joke for today uh, comes from The Edge at S-C-H-D-U-M-M-B-E-1 on Twitter. And he says, I was going to post a time-traveling joke, but you guys didn't like it. Nice. Nice. Nice bad joke. The Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by our good friend, the Great Rubini. My at ProSyn op-eds are translated in dozens of languages and printed in 200-plus newspapers, magazines, in 100-plus countries, reaching an audience of 300 million readers. Take that, low-life losers, scammers, charlatans, criminals, con men, trolls, shills, shitcoin, cesspool dwellers of the crypto Twitter. To where Ari Paul replies... You told 300 million people that 
Bitcoin was a short at $58 and cost them 11,000% return? Those are expensive op-eds. going to do it for me. I will see you guys tomorrow and uh, y'all have a good day. Uh, Don't fall for FUD. Learn as much as you can about this space while we have this time uh, in the bear market and uh, don't invest in shit coins. And none of this is investment advice, people. Buy Bitcoin. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.